Hello and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 79. This week my lovely guest is Angela Herrick and we'll be going back in time because she writes time travel novels, something that I've never written about myself so I'm really interested to have a chat with her in a moment. Okay, so at my desk this week, well, at my desk this week, the editing goes on and on. I have now got my document into the um, the formatting software. Now, I use Bellum to format my books, and I've always been really, really pleased with it. I like the look that you get. I think you can get a really professional look with it. But you still need to give it a good old tweak in order to get it absolutely on point. And unfortunately, that means going over every single page and making sure that you that the words and the page is looking absolutely as perfect as it can and of course even even then when that's all looking nice I still feel I need to go over it so I've gone over it once and got it into the formatting and how it looks and it's looking fine and uh, and I've read through it and made a few tweaks as well but I'm just reading it through one more time I might give it another pass after this so it's it's already um you know, it's becoming, it's at the point now with the editing that I, I'm almost there, but I, I kind of feel like I'm in a loop with this stuff. I don't even know which chapter is coming before which chapter because you've read it so many times, you don't even know what the order of the book is anymore because you're just on this editing loop. But anyway, I'm almost there. And the only thing I can say is that nobody cares about your work more than you yourself. And that's one of the good things about being an in independent author is I can decide when I'm good and ready when I feel that I've got this as perfect as I can possibly manage and uh, and I won't be happy until I've got to that point. I was hoping to get this book out by the end of February and uh, and I think I will have it finished by then but of course I wouldn't ever publish anything unless I'd had the book in my hand, a proof copy which I'll send away for and sometimes the proof copies can take a few weeks to arrive um, so you know, it, it's going to kind of depend on that. I think I might well get the editing finished next week. I don't think we're going to get much done this weekend because the kids are coming home because I've got a big birthday. I don't know what this big birthday is. I keep telling everybody that I'm only 47, but they seem to keep insisting that I'm actually going to be 60. But, uh, you know, sometimes you've just got to go with the flow. Anyway, so I won't get done much this weekend. I'll get a bit done today, but that'll be about it. But, you know, I do hope that over the following week that I will get the ed editing part of the of the job done. And then I need to make a few little tweaks to the book cover and some odds and ends like that. And that's that's great. But, you know, once I send off for the, the proof copies, well, that could be anybody's anybody's business. I mean, I've had them in as short as two or three days arrive from Amazon and that's been great. But I've also waited six weeks for them. So. Let's hope Amazon are going to be quick and press the button and send me my proof copies soon. And then, of course, you know, you're hoping that you get the proof copy and you're happy with it. But of course, what usually happens is you get the proof copy and you're not happy with it and you have to go again and make a few changes. Now, last time when I published Midwich One, the proof copy came. I was very happy about the words on the page. The blurb was OK. I hadn't misspelled my name on the front cover or missed anything vital out. But what I'd done was some of the drawings were not quite sitting central to the to the to the page, you know, where it says chapter, chapter one, chapter three or whatever. And then you've got the little the little drawings that I've done. 
which of course are a lot more work than I need to put into this, I possibly. But I, I like them and I feel I'm giving a little bit more of myself into this book by you know adding the illustrations. And some of them were just slightly off centre. And, and I think it was just where I, I'm right handed and I, and I tend to sort of slightly draw to the left. Now, I was very aware of this and I made a note of it. So um, I, I took my when I finished the drawings this time, I made sure that they were centred on the page before I, you know, um, put them into the format in order to go into the into the actual book and so they look okay they look okay for the for now I know when I'm looking through the the copy on the computer but unfortunately the trouble with the computer is it all looks okay on the computer <laughs> and you look at it and you think oh no that's that's fine but of course the reality of holding the actual paper copy in your book in your hand is quite a different kettle of fish so you know I'm hoping you know that it might come out and be absolutely perfect in which case I can get on and press press the button for publish but uh, if I'm not happy with it it won't be going anywhere so you know it is what it is unfortunately the joys of being an indie author um, because the buck stops with me if I don't get it right I can't blame anybody I can only blame myself and as sure as eggs are eggs people will notice if there's something wrong with it Anyway, it's nearly there. It's nearly there. I am I am getting there. It's just a very long, drawn-out process. And I think the problem with it is, as I'm kind of you know, finishing this book and bringing it out into the world, almost, I'm my mind is very much on writing the next one, which I have got planned, and I can't wait to get in there and write book three of the Midwich trilogy and finish the story, as it were. I think I do, in fact thinking trilogies at this point so I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting on with that but unfortunately my brain does not work uh, in the way that so many people's brains seem to work you know, I know a lot of authors that go oh I always spend the first two hours of every morning writing my new stuff because the new stuff is really important and I really agree with them I think that's a great thing to do unfortunately my brain does not work like that I can either concentrate on one job and get it done and keep going until that job is finished and then begin to concentrate on the next thing. So I'm either doing artwork and I'm concentrating on that. I'm doing the formatting and the editing at the moment and I'm concentrating on that. But I can't switch my mind into being creative apart from, you know, having a little think about it, making the odd note of odds and ends. But I can't I can't switch my brain into one thing into the other. I can just do one thing, get very focused and I've got my editing head on at the moment such as it is and uh, that's where I'll be going until it gets finished before I start writing the next one anyway that's my story and uh, and I think anybody of you, any of you that are listening and you're writers yourself you you will understand you know the very long drawn drawn process it is when you're you're actually at the end of the project but the end is a really long piece of work get, getting it actually finished and actually to a point where you're really happy with it really, really takes some time in it and and also I think there's times in the day where you think oh no it's fine it's fine and then you think no 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 I've just got to have another look at it I've just got to go over this I'm not happy with that or I've made a note here I need to go back and change something or tweak something or whatever it is anyway <laughs> I'm nearly there anyway wish me luck uh it, I mean it'll get there that's the point I mean at this point this will be book eight or nine I think depending whether you count the novella I have a little free novella on one of my um, mailing list things and uh, so you know 
at this point I do know I will in fact get there. I think it's hard when it's your first or second book because you you kind of think, oh, is this normal? Am I am I acting like other authors? But I think what you've got to do is find your own process and uh, stick with it. And and I, I kind of trust my process, I have to say. So anyway, that's me. Anyway, enough prattling on. Uh, here we go. Let's have a chat with Angela. She was a very interesting lady. And um, great. Here we go. On the Words and Pictures podcast this week, my lovely guest is Angela M. Herrick. And uh, now she's a children's playwright, which I find quite fascinating. And she's a drama teacher. But uh, today I'm mostly going to talk to her about her writing of time travel novels. So hello, Angela, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's it's really, really nice to hear you. And I keep meaning to ask people, so where are you from? Um, I live in central Florida. Oh, no, I'm planning to keep asking people this because I'm always quite fascinated that I kind of set up, we have a bit of a time difference and I'm here in the UK. And I keep thinking I must do that because I'm chatting to people all over the world from the kind of my back room, as you can see. And it's just amazing that you can do that in the modern world. But anyway, perhaps I'm getting old. Yeah, these things, these things still, uh, still, you know, give me a thrill. So, yeah, that's lovely. So you're all the way from Florida. So anyway, never mind that. What? draws you to write time travel Angela what is it that fascinates you about that particular genre it's something I've never really I mean I like fantasy I write fantasy but I've never done the time travel thing why time travel Um, I see you've got a clock behind you actually have you (laughs) actually it's a tribal drum (laughs) oh is it oh on the zoom it looks it looks like a clock slightly blurred on here yeah when when I look at it um well, I've always said ever since I was a little girl that if I could have one superpower, it would be the power to control time. And I like that when I create these worlds in my books that I get to do just that. I gave myself the superpower. It doesn't work on me, unfortunately, but my characters get to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, and so how far back do you go? Because I suppose, you know, the world's your lobster when you can uh, go go back as far as you want. Do you try and go to it? I don't know if one of them is about uh, sort of set in the Roaring Twenties. Is that right? Um, a little later. It's Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. So in the 1930s and um, in the sequel, um, they go to the 40s. And that's to do with my love of old movies. I always just wanted to like crawl into the screen with um, the screen into, with like Jim, Jimmy Stewart, James Cagney. I just... I wanted to wear those clothes and I wanted the witty banter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think sometimes you look at, you know, when you watch historical things on on the television or it, within a film, um, you I, I can't think of any of us that don't imagine wearing those different kinds of clothes. And we, we're all just want to dress up a little bit, really, don't we? Yeah, oh, yes. fascinating stuff. Uh, so do you put a lot of, do you have to do a lot of research, Angela, in order to make that work and make it believable? Because you've got, you've got to make them, you've got to make them think that time travel is possible. So that's the first hurdle. But then when they get there, it's got to hang right, hasn't it? Absolutely. Um, I just went to a writer's conference and I was, there wasn't really anyone else writing time travel, which shocked me because there were thousands of authors at this event. I went to 20 books to 50 K in Las Vegas and I ended up, I wanted to go to a meetup. I'm an extroverted author. (laughs) And finally the historical fiction people took me in for an evening and they kind of treated me as their odd cousin. And they said, well, you do the same research that we do. And I said, absolutely. And 
I make sure that I have a slang dictionary for the time period so that people sound how they're supposed to sound. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy writing a novel is there is so much research involved and research is something I would do as a hobby anyway. And, and how, whereabouts do you get your research? You, are you just sort of reading and finding things on, on the internet? How, how, do you, how do you even go about it? I just make stuff up. I don't research at all, you see. So for me, it's just like, okay, what do you do? It sounds like hard that's, work. That's the delight of fantasy, I suppose. Yeah. Mostly just do internet research. Um, most of the historical people I found this quite fascinating. In fact, they told me, we barely consider you historical because you didn't go back 100 years. I thought that was an interesting demarcation point that they had set up. Not all of them agreed, but some of them are like, oh, you don't go back over a hundred years. But I like going back to the mid 20th century. It's an era that interests me. And I do have the benefit of there are movies that were shot in that period. And I can see what the clothes were. There are photographs. So I'm not going back to, you know, like the the 1500s or something like that. So where I'm looking at portraits, I actually get to see what people had and what they, how they carried themselves. And I did a lot of research like that for my first book, actually, though, since I decided it was going to be set in the Harlem Renaissance, I mentioned something to my 11th grader at the time. And he said, Oh, I'm studying that right now. And I said, come on, we're going for ice cream. Tell me everything. <laughs> yeah, good, good plan. Yes. Yeah. Good, good shortcut. Yes. Yeah. Get somebody else to do the hard work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she, students can be useful. It's it's great stuff. Yeah. In, interesting. So tell me about your latest book. What's what's the book that you've just published? How, how, how's that going? So Devil's Dissonance came out on Monday. It's going pretty well. Oh, it's just come out just this minute. Yes. <laughs> how, ex how exciting. Yeah. I was so glad you could have me on because I was like, oh, it's a brand new book. My romantic couple, it does continue to follow them. They fell in love rather quickly. And, so this is the um, second book, second book in a series. Yeah, the second book of Devil's Chord series. It's mm -hmm. called Devil's Dissonance. Jack, my main character, is a musician. So all the titles have something to do with music. Um, for instance, a devil's chord is also known as a devil's tritone. It's a chord that's unresolved. If you land oh, yeah. on the chord, you feel like, oh, it needs to to go to a major chord and resolve and Jack was in some turmoil. So devil's chord fit the, the story. And now he, he is involved with this woman and they fell in love so quickly in the first book and they're, they're trying to do life together. And that's, if you're not friends first, I find that romance can be kind of bumpy at first when you're trying to settle two personalities together. And so dissonance is, um, when something's not harmonious in music. And yeah. so that's why each book's like that. I'm working on Devil's Cadence right now, and Cadence is falling into a rhythm and a little more resolved, and that'll be the third book. Are both the characters in the same time zone, or is one of them, I'm imagining that one is in a different time place than the other? Yeah, in the first book, Jack goes back to Harlem and finds a mysterious stage manager that he falls in love with. So, so there's a bit of stage in there, there's a bit of music, you know, and then you've got this added thing of the, the the whole time travel. The next book, so will it be a trilogy or will it go on to be a series? So I started out with a standalone book because <laughs> I'm a, I was a playwright. I, I was not a novelist. And I thought, well, I'll write this because I want to read something like this and I couldn't find anything like it. So I wrote it and then I shared it with a few friends and they said, you need to publish. So yeah, I cool. published it some more and then published and 
then the number one question that I got from my readers was, when's the sequel coming out? And I was like, oh, you want more? <laughs> so then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do a trilogy. And now the trilogy, the, the third book is getting so big that I think it's going to end up being two books. Standalones are great if you've got lots of standalones and people like your writing and they like your style and they know the sorts of stories that you like to tell. And I think that's fine. But I think a lot of people want the story to carry on. Even if you've resolved everything in a, in a particular book, they want to go again with those characters. And I think that's one of the greatest compliments if they go, I really enjoyed these people. I want to see them again. I want to find out what happened next, you know. It, it was flattering and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think also... You, as a writer, you always know what happens next. I, I know exactly, you know, even if, even if it's actually resolved, I know where they walk down the street, what they have for dinner next, you know, because you do, because you, your imagination doesn't draw a line. Imagination just carries on, you know, and if you've lived with a character or, you know, a group of characters for about a year or so, you're you're continually, you know, imagining them and, and you know, having conversations with them in your head it's it's a strange thing I think yes I could see what my main characters are doing for decades out things that I probably won't write because you know I don't know if they fit within the the story I'm currently telling but I can picture them <laughs> yeah how, how do you find that being a because you've written plays for children um which sounds really useful I used to be a teacher myself how how do you find being a playwright, a published playwright, how do you find that informs your writing of the novella? I think that you can, if you know I'm a playwright, you can tell when you read the novels because my novels are dialogue heavy. And that's just because that's what I'm good at. The description part came a little slower. Um, in the first book, for instance, Jack walks into the Cotton Club and it's a well-known place from the Harlem Renaissance. It was the biggest nightclub in Harlem. And I didn't describe it. My beta readers came back and went, um, we really need to know what the Cotton Club looks like. Yeah. And, and also as a British person, I wouldn't particularly, you know, I, I might have seen it a little bit in films, but I'm not as as familiar with that as, as you, you probably would be as an American. Yeah. So, so yeah, we so we need a little bit of description, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I was so happy to have people that would point things like that out. And it was always rather spotty, like, they walked into this old building and Jack was staying with one of the bandmates and I described the floor to ceiling windows and the, the peeling paint on the banister. And um, they're like, so you did really well here. And then why didn't you describe the nightclub? And I'm like, cause I'm a playwright guys. I'm making a transition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also you could probably, you're, you're it, sometimes I think as a writer, your imagination is so, um, uh, highly tuned that you almost think well surely the reader can see this as well as I can and yeah. you actually forget to tell them <laughs> yeah I, I'm a devil for um describing what people wear and I've had people say well I would like to know what the character was wearing because I don't notice as a person what people wear I only look at people's faces and and even you know, even if I've been with somebody all day or if I've been to a wedding or something and somebody will say, oh, and what were they wearing? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, so I have to really think what my characters wear because I wouldn't notice that as a, as a person. It's a strange, strange one. Mm. Interesting. Yes, but I could tell you everything about everybody's faces always. So what's next then? What's your work in progress? What are you working on now? The, the next book or more plays? As far as writing, I am still drafting the third and maybe fourth book in the Devil's Court series. 
And um, I actually just finished my first full-length play for adults called Monologues, Sisterhood of Motherhood. Oh, And cool. it's a collection of monologues and short scenes about what we all go through as mothers and that common thread that kind of binds moms, even if your circumstances are different. They're all things that we experience. And I just had a, a read through with some lovely ladies the other night so I could hear it out loud because I, I wanted to see what as a playwright, you have to listen and see what the actors stumble over. And I like having actors of varying um, degrees of experience because a good actor will always smooth it over and make it sound good, but I can hear where they change the wording. Less experienced actors will just outright stumble. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that, that was obvious. And it's a play that took me 16 years to write. So I'm extremely proud of it. And I just found out that um, two weeks ago that it's going to be produced locally here in Orlando. I expect some of those, some of those stories are sad and some of them are happy. And... Yeah, there were a lot of, a mix of tears and laughter, but yeah, it, a, a lot of the points were, it doesn't matter how a child comes to you, whether you're a stepmother or a foster mom or an adoptive mom, there's still that, that the love and challenges are still the same. I have a lot of kids. I have five children. So I've had various different experiences. My two youngest were adopted from foster care. So I really liked kind of shedding a light on, on that side of it as well. That experience of motherhood is, is shared and different. You know, it, it's a it's a funny thing. Yeah, interesting to write about, I think. Yeah. So when when you're listening to the actors reading your work, that's you know, for myself, I mean, I, I don't do plays and things, but I but I always read my work aloud, and I'm sort of in the process of of um, doing some audio books now. Uh, do you think you'll do the audio books? Do you think you'll you'll bring it out into audio eventually? Yes, um, the Devil's Chord series for sure. I'm not sure. I've got a standalone book called Project Mulligan and. That one was very emotional for me, and I don't know if I want to go back and narrate it myself. I'm, I'd probably be open to hiring a narrator for that one, but with Devil's Chord, I, they're very close to me, and I've done the audio myself. I have a theater background, and I felt very comfortable doing it. At first, I was reluctant, and then my children said, why on earth would you hire a narrator? We grew up listening to you read to us every day. Yeah. Please read your books. So now I have a bunch of raw audio files and my husband is an engineer. So he said that he would edit them. And I warned him that I speak to him in the outtakes, sometimes not so nicely. <laughs> you realize that everything in your house that makes noise and everything in your neighborhood, I thought I lived in a quiet neighborhood, but yeah. we have a delivery truck that comes through at two o'clock every day. And he really needs some work on his engine. <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't notice it because it's just everything. I live near the sea, and uh, and I was listening, like you know, to yourself, listening back to some of the stuff where I was sort of had a sort of first go at this audio thing, and um, and I and I thought, is that noise? And I thought, because what it is? It's the seagulls going. Rah, rah. Oh yeah, they make they make this most because <laughs> we don't hear it because I've lived here thirty years and I've lived here. Not exactly here, but I've lived up the road. I was born up the road. And and I'm just so used to the sound of seagulls in the background. I just think that's normal background noise. But of course, on an audio file, you don't want something screeching. And on the top of it, it's like skylights. So the, the seagulls like pop about on the skylights <laughs> and, and screech at this, you know, when they're kind of finding a mate at this time of year or something. I don't know what it is or spring or something. Such a racket. You do get used to that. I used to live on the coast of California for years and we were about 15 minutes from the beach and I got to where I ignored the seagulls and 
but when you're trying to record something, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you learn a whole new thing about dampening down the room and the sound and the whole, the whole thing is it just becomes another, another load of stuff that you've got to learn. Um, so thinking about having to learn things, um, are you a traditionally published author published by a small press or are you publishing yourself? Are you an independent author? I'm an independent author. Yeah. I, I researched it and I just really liked the idea of having that creative control and yeah. I'm not a patient person. So even if you do get picked up by a traditional publisher having to wait maybe three years for your work to come out. And then you have to market it yourself anyway, because you're new that I just didn't really see any upside to it for me. No, I think that's the thing. I think also, I mean, I think I'm probably a bit older than you. I, I think the trouble with it is it's such a long tail from, I mean, I got an agent years back and they faffed about and faffed about and I changed a few things, re-submitted it off they went and they were still fiddling about and I just thought hold on a minute this has been this has been 18 months you know and, and I am you know in the last well not the last bit of my life but I'm I'm on the I'm on the I'm not at the beginning of the curve here and I thought I haven't got four years to faff about and then you say no at the end of it well everybody messes around you know, whereas once I decided to do it myself, I had that book out in six months. <laughs> you know, it was it was uh, and suddenly you learn how to, you know, how, how to employ people that you need, like editors and and you know, different different things. And, and you can get it going. And there's something about I don't know. I don't know how I mean, I, I've never been traditionally published, so I don't I don't have a yardstick for that. But there's something about holding that book in your hand. And I think I did all of this. You know, I do my own covers as well. So I think I did the whole thing. This is all me, apart from the editing, you know, and the proofreading and that kind of thing. But everything else is mine. And and I think there's something quite nice about that. I think indie authors have a have a special thing that that that's, you know, you really brought that book into the world. Do you feel do you feel that? Absolutely. I was telling my husband on Monday, I said, this feels like a birth. Like when yes, we... yeah. <laughs> and I would have a child because I was like, oh, finally, this this book is here. And was there any anything particular about that day that you published? What did you pick that date for a reason? Other than I knew when I wanted to have the launch party. <laughs> Not really. Oh, that, that sounds good. <laughs> I've never had a launch party, actually. I, I just sort of press the press the thing and on, on it goes. And, and that's the thing. Perhaps, perhaps I should do that next time. Have a have a bit of a something. I don't think I will because it's next month and there's too much going on. But the things that they talked about, um, 20 books to 50K was this huge indie author event. We had like 2000 authors in Vegas and. I was so overwhelmed. I got so much information. And then finally I went to the seminar and it was marketing you'll actually love. And I thought, oh, good, because marketing sometimes feels like a slog. I realized, well, I'm an extroverted writer. So why wouldn't I sell more books when I go to in-person events and sign a book? And I like to throw parties. So let's have a book party. Let's launch this book. And especially with Devil's Dissonance being set in New Orleans and Mardi Gras happens in the course of the story. And I was like, well, we're in Mardi Gras season right now. Why don't I just throw a big old Mardi Gras party? Yeah, and good, good, good idea. And did it go well? Uh, it'll be Saturday. So Saturday, yes, so it will go. We'll go. I, well. want, yeah, I wanted the book to release on Monday. So um, if people, because I, I did this with Project Mulligan, my second book, I had a launch party and I was surprised at how many people 
read it in advance of coming to the party or at least ordered it in advance and brought their own copy for me to sign. And Oh, that's nice. Yeah. so nice. They were like, I didn't know how many you'd have available here at the party. So I brought my own for you to sign. And my husband and I like to, we're amateur mixologists. We like to make cocktails. And um, so we make an official drink for each book. And <laughs> so my, That's a good my, idea. it's so fun. And then my plan is that um, my 21st book will be my drink recipe book. Yeah, that's that's really good. And I think you know every person is an individual. You bring something to it in your in your own way. Yeah. Well, I, we have a big indie co indie author conference here in England, which is um, the self publishing show. Um, you know, have you heard of Mark Dawson? Or any of those guys. Okay, so Mark Dawson, he was at the 20 Books Vegas. He did a podcast. He does a podcast as well. And uh, anyway, so that's a big thing. It's in London. And uh, I've been for the last couple of years. And and it's it's fascinating to go to these in these conferences that are just for, um, you know, the independent authors like you and me. And I think you just learn such a lot. And apart from that, you network with other people, which is brilliant because you you make some real face-to-face -face connections and, and some proper friendships, which is lovely. Um, but like you say, sometimes you feel a bit information overload with it. The self-publishing show does a video thing, which you kind of get with your ticket so that after the conference, you can go back and re-watch some of the speakers because sometimes it's hard to just take it all in in one go. Does that, does 20 books Vegas do that? Um, they did. Um, somebody new is taking over. It's going to be called author nation next year. I'm not Oh yeah. sure. Yeah. I've heard that. that, but um, it's really helpful to go back and watch things or inevitably there were two workshops and I wanted to go to both and couldn't be in both places. So I'm able to go back and watch the one that I missed, which I appreciated. So what was your big takeaway from going to that one? What, what Um, was the thing that you thought, oh, this is this is what I'm going to do now? What was the thing that you thought, I'm bringing this to my author life? I realized I was doing more than I thought because I do enjoy, I'm, I'm on Facebook all the time anyway. So just being more deliberate about posting there every day. And I was realizing that I do like throwing the book parties. I do like going to in-person events. So I'm leaning into that more. the thing that I want to start that's new. And he said to start really small is, um, building, um, a email list. So that's going to be my next task because that's what I hear over and over again. Yeah, I noticed that on your website when I looked it up this afternoon. I thought I was going to say to you at the end, I said, get your email list up. Yes. Yeah, that that makes and actually it's a really special thing. Now I've just done um uh, I have an email list for um this stuff that I write, this paranormal women's fiction. And um I've got quite a strong email list from this first book, which is really, really great. And I, I was really thrilled this week to give them the first view of the new book cover for the for the second book and it felt like a really special thing to write to these people and say you know because I promised them that when I got it finished I would show them the artwork first and and it felt really special to do that it really meant a lot to me to think that people are so engaged with me that, that and, and I'm going to give them this thing first off yeah the email list is really nice because I think you have a a really deep connection because people have chosen to come on and sign up for your thing because you know they they really have engaged with your writing and with your storytelling yeah and it, it is a nice thing so I would definitely go for it because you know I'm not I mean sales is great but actually connections is brilliant Exactly. yeah
Yeah, yeah. And I, th I think that's what we all want as writers. I, you know, yes, I do like the sales. You know, I I do like to earn a bit of money from it. It's it's really helpful. Um, but but the human connection of finding that somebody, you know, engaged with your engaged with your story and really liked it is is worth more than any any sale, to be honest. Yeah. Absolutely. I I wanted my book in a library and somebody pointed out, well, that's not the same as, you know, somebody buying paying money to read it every time. And I said, but I was the little girl that lived in the library. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. So for me, seeing it on the shelf in the library would be a huge accomplishment. Yeah. You know, it's a different world for us. You know, a lot of my sales are um ebook sales. Um, a lot of them are uh, you know, they're they're in, you know, they're digital format. Uh, and that's and that's fine. And I'm I'm exclusive to Amazon, so a lot of it is the Kindle Unlimited thing, which I'm very happy to get that check every month. Um, but I have to say that I have got about ten percent where people actually buy the book, and because I've illustrated it myself, that really means a lot that somebody's actually got that real thing in their hand. And and I sort of think, oh, that's that's really nice. And a book sale still feels, I don't know, a bit more exciting than you know to think that somebody's actually because the book the book is harder to make than the ebook if we just wanted to do ebooks i could i could get that out i could do the thing that i'm finishing now i could i could send it out tomorrow but mm -hmm. you know the the whole formatting of the of the paperback is is a whole new game <laughs> you know, it's much more complicated it's it takes a lot more work to do and um so it, it's nice when people do get the physical thing i think and uh but i think it's very hard to get those books into bookshops from where I'm standing at the moment. Yeah, pretty tricky. Are you in bookshops yet? I'm not yet. Uh, no, I haven't quite cracked that. I think it's a case of um, publishing on something else like uh, Ingram Spark or one of the other big things and then having to approach the bookshops and seeing if they can get you to, you know, see, seeing if they can, if, if you can get them interested in order to stock your stuff. But I think you need a little bit of success, perhaps a bit more than I've got at the moment. You know, another year maybe. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> yeah, I am exclusive to Amazon as well right yeah, now. But I'm also yeah. getting from Spark and some of the others. And since I am kind of a, a chatty Kathy, it would be probably a good idea to find a, you know, at least shop around and compare the the author copy cost because I find that it, not only are they, you know, the printing cost is quite high, but it takes a long time to get your book shipped to you. Yeah, yeah, and I think think that's the other thing. It's it's pretty hard to. Mm, I haven't done any of the, you know, uh, having the books, stocking books myself. I I tried it a little bit, and I found it actually a real faff sending it off and doing that kind of thing. It was it felt like a real time drain, and I thought this isn't this isn't working. I can't because you, know, you can order order the copies obviously from the Amazon store, which is probably what you do, um, but. But actually, you know, and, and yes, I do send out a few out to readers, but it's 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 a big job. There's no getting away from it. You know, I think oh, I don't know. It's it's something to crack for another time. Maybe, maybe uh, 20 Books Vegas will have the answer next year. <laughs> I know they, they talked a lot about Shopify shops. Oh, so yeah. A lot of the authors that had more books than I have out, like people that had around average of 10 books out were um, looking into Shopify stores because they'll drop ship for you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite good. Well, I did um I had a little dabble with the TikTok shop which I found um quite hard to work 
quite quite it felt a bit glitchy. I couldn't quite get it to stick. I didn't find find that the TikTok shop was for me really. So and I don't think that's particularly a I don't think that's to do with TikTok. I think that's more to do with me, really. Yeah. I think that's just just not my thing, really. Uh yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But anyway, so it goes on. Anyway, Angela, we are nearly out of time. So where can people find you and your books online? Um, you can find me online at angelamherrick.com. Mm -hmm. And um, also I'm on Amazon. I sell exclusively there and I'm in Kindle Unlimited. So anyone that's got a prescription or subscription to Kindle Unlimited can find me there. Brilliant. Lovely. And I'll put those in the show notes. And thanks for joining me on the Words and Pictures podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight to talk to you. Well, lovely to talk to Angela Herrick about her work and interesting to find somebody who um, freely admits to being a an outgoing author who likes doing the parties and all that kind of thing. And I kind of feel that most of us don't feel like that. I'm pretty much happy, you know, um, locking myself in my room and hoping I can do the marketing um, from here and not having to get actually involved face to face. But uh, interesting to find somebody that likes it and, and sees a different angle on there. Yeah good stuff. Right, so that was Angela Herrick, but next week my lovely guest is a lady called hold on a minute, I'm at my notes here. Oh yes, Karen DeBonis. Now, Karen's written a, a lovely book called Growth, A Mother, Her Son, and the Brain Tumor They Survived. And it's a memoir about um obviously what happened to her and her family and how how they got through it. And uh, she was a very interesting lady to talk to. So, come and have a listen to me having a chat with her next week. And uh, you can find the Words and Pictures podcast in all the usual places. It, you know, if you've picked this up from social media, this episode, um, you can ask your favourite app uh, or your smart bot, all that kind of thing. You should be able to pick up the Words and Pictures podcast from there. Anyway, so that's it from me this week. And uh, remember, the Words and Pictures podcast comes out every Monday. And if you go to my website, if you wanted to pick up any um, odds and ends that were on this show that we've spoken about you will find a link in the show notes and you can find the show notes either on podbean which is where the the podcast is hosted and you'll find there's a page there and you can also find a page on my website which is www.djbowmansmith.com okay that's it from me have a great week whatever you're doing until next time bye bye